to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and today is December 25th, 2020. So for those of you out there who are listening who celebrate Christmas, it is Christmas Day, and so I'm wishing you all a very Merry Christmas. For those of you who are named Kristen, like me, or Christina, or Christian, or Christo, or Christiana, or any other permutation of the name uh, Chris, Christ, Christ, uh, this is your name day as well uh, in Bulgaria. So, Chestit Iman Ben to all of you listeners out there who, who celebrate name days. And I actually want to uh, say thank you to everyone so far who has written a review of the podcast and sent me a little note. It's been really wonderful to hear from listeners, uh, especially, you know, from around the United States, but I've gotten requests from as far as Germany and Hungary. And it's really been kind of a treat uh, to send these stickers out. My daughter's been helping me with the designs and, and with the logistics. It was her idea, so I also want to very much thank her for having this idea of sending out these these little stickers, which if you haven't seen them, there's a link in the podcast notes. And if you'd like to get your hands on four of these different stickers, then go ahead and read the instructions in the notes to this podcast episode. So since it's Christmas Day, I am going to read a little passage that Alexander Kollontai wrote in January of 1946 reflecting on the Christmas holidays of 1917. And the name of this piece is Lenin Thought of Both Great and Small. And again, it comes from Kollontai's later writings. This was a collection of essays that she did called My Reminiscences of Lenin. And so this is Kollontai writing about you know, her own experiences of the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. Obviously, this is in 1946. It's again immediately after the Second World War. And she is sort of trying to humanize Vladimir Lenin, who by 1946, obviously had become this huge cult of personality in the Soviet Union. And I think this is just a little touching anecdote from Kolontai, where she's basically trying to give us a a flavor of the character of the type of man that Lenin was. So I'm just going to read this short essay. Lenin's ability to think about the great and important while not forgetting the small details of everyday life always amazed me. I was amazed that, while engaged in creating a totally new kind of state, he never missed the opportunity to remind us, even in relation to small details, of the fact that the state, and particularly a socialist state, requires account-keeping and order. I will cite one example. It was December 1917. Christmas was approaching, but at Smolny, no one was thinking of holidays. We were working non-stop. Winter had not yet set in properly. Sleet was falling and a cold northerly wind was blowing along the Neva. Nadezhda Konstantinovna was trying to persuade Vladimir Ilyich to leave town for a few days over Christmas. She argued that he needed a respite from work. He was sleeping badly and was clearly suffering from fatigue. A quick clarification here. Nadezhda Konstantinovna is Nadezhda Krupskaya, who is Lenin's wife. And now back to Kolontai. 
The doctor who ran the Halila Sanatorium in Finland on the Karelian Isthmus came to see me at the People's Commissariat for Welfare and told me that his sanatorium had a new private residence, warm and well-lit, which he would be more than willing to put at Lenin's disposal. Vladimir Ilyich, however, brushed aside all our arguments. Although we told him that there was a magnificent forest nearby where one could go hunting as much as one wished, Vladimir Ilyich would only answer, Hunting is a fine thing, but we have no end of work to do. True, we have already made a start, but even the Bolsheviks cannot organize a new state in two months. That will take ten years at least. Nadezhda Konstantinovna interrupted him. What? Does that mean you're going to spend all those years sitting at your desk without a break? To which Lenin replied, well, we'll see how things are going later on. However, a few days later, it occurred to Vladimir Ilyich that if he went away for a few days, he would manage to write a complete new work that he could not find time for at Smolny. The idea so took hold of him that the following morning he said to Nadezhda Konstantinovna, If Kolontai at the People's Commissariat really does have a private residence in the forest where no one will disturb me, then I am willing to go. On the morning of the 24th of December, I went to the Finlansky station to see Vladimir Ilyich off. He, Nadezhda Konstantinovna, and Maria Ilinichna had only just got into their compartment. Maria is Lenin's sister, by the way. Vladimir Ilyich sat beside the window, right in the corner of the carriage, in order to be less noticeable. Maria Ilinichna sat beside him, and Nadezhda Konstantinovna sat opposite. Vladimir Ilyich thought it would be safer if he went in an ordinary passenger compartment with two Red Army soldiers and a trusted Finnish comrade. Vladimir Ilyich was wearing his old autumn coat that he had been wearing when he came back from abroad, and also, despite the keen frost, a felt hat. A comrade carrying three fur coats and a fur hat with ear flaps followed me onto the compartment. You can put these on, I said to Vladimir Ilyich, when you have to cross the open fields in a horse-drawn sleigh, for then, naturally, it will be very cold, and it is a long way from the station to the sanatorium. The fur coats, I added, are from the stores of the People's Commissariat. That is evident, said Vladimir Ilyich, opening one of the fur coats, on the inside of which was sewn the number of the storehouse and the item. I suppose you did this so that we should not leave the coats behind. State goods like bookkeeping, and that is as it should be. Vladimir Ilyich wanted me to go with them, but I was detained by urgent business at the People's Commissariat, mainly the organization of aid for mothers and young children. I promised to join them later. Vladimir Ilyich suddenly remembered that he had no Finnish money. It would be a help if you could get a hold of at least a hundred Finnish marks to pay the porter at the station and to cover any other minor expenses. I ran to the currency exchange desk, but I had only a small amount of money with me, not enough to get even a hundred Finnish marks. Vladimir Ilyich said, So, the house stands alone and is well heated, you say, and one can go hunting in the forest. And what if there are hares? I answered that I could not promise hares, but that there were certain to be squirrels. Hmm, <laughs> shooting squirrels is a children's pastime. And Nadezhda Konstantinovna added, If Vladimir Ilyich will only go for walks in the forest and not spend the whole three days sitting at his desk. 
But there, even the air inside will be cleaner, Vladimir Ilyich interrupted her. The train started to pull out of the station. No one else on the platform realized that the chairman of the Council of People's Commissars was traveling as an ordinary second-class passenger. A few days later, Vladimir Ilyich was back at work at Smolny. I got a handwritten note from Vladimir Ilyich. I thank you for the fur coats from the stocks of your people's commissariat, which I return to you safe and sound. They came in very useful, for we were caught in a snowstorm. Halila itself was very pleasant indeed. I am not sending you any Finnish marks as yet, but I have worked out roughly how much it comes to in Russian money, 83 rubles, and I enclose them with this note. I know that you have not got much money to spare. Yours, Lenin. It was typical of Vladimir Ilyich that, amidst all his enormous problems of state, he could remember such details and always find time to be an attentive comrade. So that's just a little reading from this article, Lenin Thought of Both Great and Small, and it was from a book, Alexandra Kollontai's book, Reminiscences of Lenin, which was published in Moscow in 1971. This is their English translation from that. And I just thought it was a kind of nice piece to read because it refers to Christmas. And it reminds us that these past historical figures like Lenin, like Alexandra Kolontai, like Lenin's wife, Nadezhda Krupskaya, they were human. They were just ordinary people. And even under moments of intense strain and stress, as one can imagine, the Christmas after the revolution must have been, the new year after the revolution, the, the holidays, that first winter when the Bolsheviks are trying to figure out how they're going to run and build this new socialist state. Almost 30 years later, Kolontai remembered the thoughtfulness of Lenin and his attention to detail and his kindness and attentiveness to his comrades. I mean, he basically borrowed money from Kolontai to go off to Finland and a lot of people with many responsibilities and things of their, on their mind, especially if it was a very small amount of money, as it seems to have been, would not have remembered to pay it back as quite as promptly as apparently Lenin did. And I think that those small acts of kindness, I think, you know, for those of us who are progressives and who are thinking about the world and how we can live in the world and change the world in, to make it a better place, to, to try to add some measure of positivity in our lives and in the lives of the people that we love and the people that are around us, sometimes we focus on the big things, on, on getting the big things right, on, on trying to have the largest impact possible. And I mean, obviously, you know, if there's anybody in history who had a really large impact on history, it was definitely Vladimir Lenin. Um, and to a certain extent, obviously, Kolontai. But but Lenin really looms large in terms of, of, of shaping the entire 20th century. And what I think is really interesting is the message, or at least the message that I'd like to take away from this for Christmas Day, as we think, as we spend time with our families and kind of see out what is otherwise a pretty awful year of 2020, is that sometimes the small things matter too. Sometimes the tiny little acts that we do every day, the kind words that we say to people, the attention that we give to our loved ones, the thoughtful gifts, maybe the, the, just the right gift or, or the right sentiment 
calling an elderly relative to see if they're lonely, maybe reaching out to old friends that you've lost touch with or old classmates or schoolmates or people that you knew when you were younger. I think it's interesting here that Kolontai is obviously, she's like 74 when she writes this. She's in her mid-70s. She's looking back. Lenin is long dead. Some of the women that Kolontai worked with in the Genotel, like Inessa Armand and, and Nadezhda Krupskaya herself, they're, they've passed away at this point. So she's really sort of in some ways the last woman standing from those early years of the revolution. And rather than, you know, creating some kind of celebratory text of Lenin's greatness, here she's just reflecting very simply on an act of kindness, probably something Vladimir Lenin didn't even remember, probably didn't even really cross his mind that 30 years later, somebody would be writing a tribute to him for remembering to pay some money back and return the coats and hats that he had borrowed from the People's Commissariat of welfare. I mean, obviously he was the leader of the Soviet Union. If he had wanted to keep the coats, if he'd wanted to keep the hat, if he'd wanted not to pay Kolontai back, I don't think anybody at that time would have really thought it was out of line for him to do so. He had so much going on. To the, the fact that he even remembered is is pretty remarkable. And clearly that's what that's what Kolontai here wants to memorialize in this piece. And so today, as I think about what I'm going to do for the rest of the day, I'm probably not going to change the world in the next 12 hours or 24 hours or week or month or years or for the rest of my life, for all I know. That is all out of my control in some ways. We can all push as hard as we can. We can all contribute as much as we can. We can all try to do the right thing. But there are also these small things. And I think those small things are really important too. We may not remember them. And we, we, you know, we may not really even do them consciously, but I think maybe cultivating, especially this time of year, it's, it's worth it to cultivate a little bit of extra kindness and a little bit of thoughtfulness to the people that are around us, um, because they might remember it and it might make all the difference to them. And in its own way, I think that is also a cause that is really worth fighting for, even if it's just making the world a better place, a tiny little bit it's it's still better than it was before. So on that note, I want to wish all of you who celebrate this holiday a Merry Christmas. I hope you are surrounded by friends and family. And if you're not, my special greetings to those of you who are in an unfortunate situation of having to spend this holiday alone. We are in solidarity with you as well in our own way. You, you have comrades and, and friends and colleagues out here who, who care about you and care about the things that you believe in. Uh, another special thought and, and condolence to those of you who may have lost a loved one this year. If you have lost a, a friend or a parent or somebody to COVID or any other reason, this is a, a rough time to be alone for Christmas. It's a rough time to be missing somebody that you love during the holidays. So lots of, of, of good thoughts and affection and solidarity to you as well. So as always, thank you so very, very much for listening. I appreciate all the emails that have been sent in so far and keep up the good fight. Okay.